Hi, this is Andy. And hi, this is Sunny. And you are listening to the Business Over Chai podcast. Our mission is to share startup stories that will inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs across the South Asian community. In this episode, we talk to Srikanth Velamakani, who is a co-founder, group chief executive and executive chairman of Fractal. Fractal's mission is to power every human decision in the enterprise and to use the power of AI to help the world's most admired Fortune 100 companies. After a stint in investment banking, Srikanth shares his entrepreneur journey in starting Fractal with close friends in the early 2000s and after the dot-com crash. Srikanth and the team had a flair for applying mathematics to consumer behavior data and pitched their first project to ICICI Bank based in India, free of charge. Srikanth shares how he and the team experienced huge emotional, financial and business challenges along the way. However, the success of the first project opened a number of doors including partnerships with Unilever and Visa. Today, Fractal has built an enterprise of revenues of over $160 million dollars and a workforce of 2,100 employees across 15 plus countries. Thank you for joining our podcast today, Shirikant. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Sunny. Great to be here. Uh, a great place to start would be to talk about your early life, uh, perhaps a little bit about your family upbringing and your education. Yeah, I was born in Andhra Pradesh, but grew up in Assam. It was an oil township uh, called Duliajan within the state of Assam. Uh, it was a pretty average middle-class sort of upbringing. There was only one good school in my little town called Duliajan. I went there, um, studied there, um, did my 10th grade. My father used to work in a transferable job working for an oil company. So I got to move around the say, around the country into various locations like Assam, Orissa, Rajasthan, wherever there was oil in the, in the country. And that gave me a really good upbringing because I could make new, I had to make new friends every time I moved into a new city. I remember after my 10th grade, in my 11th grade, uh, I moved to, uh, to Jodhpur, which is in Rajasthan. And I was, I did well in my school in my 10th grade in Assam. Uh, but when I moved to Jodhpur, I realized that I was just one of these average kids. And so I had to make all new friends at that time. And, and that was very helpful for me as well. Ever since I have been traveling around the world and I find it very easy to make friends with new people because that's really how I've grown up over the years. That's great. Fantastic. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about where you went to university and how that experience was for you? Yes, I went to IIT Delhi. Uh, I took the IIT JE exam more because I wanted the challenge of an engineering education and engineering entrance exam. It was, I wasn't very clear I wanted to be an engineer. Frankly, I did not know what it entailed. My family is full of electrical and electronics engineers. So it was sort of uh, expected that I will go to electrical engineering. And that's what I did at IIT Delhi. Uh, while doing that, I realized that while I enjoyed engineering courses, I was much more interested in courses that were from humanities. So doing uh, courses, for example, on learning about modern fiction or contemporary fiction, learning about existentialism, understanding the psychological basis of human behavior. I did a course on psychology, a course on critical thinking and philosophy. And I realized that I was actually far more interested in those areas, particularly what I was interested in was in understanding human behavior. Um, psychology was something that I really took interest in. 
And I, I also remember while I was in 10th grade, I took this exam called the National Talent Search Examination. And I took all those courses, all those uh, areas of subjects which were non-science oriented, humanities oriented, and it really did well. Uh, so I did engineering, but I knew that I did not want to be an engineer per se. I wanted to do more than that. I took the uh, entrance test for the IIMs and got through them and went to IIM Ahmedabad, spent two years. In those two years, I decided that I'll do better. In IIT, I was just you know, having a really great time. I was just a seven pointer. So just one of those middle of the road guys. Uh, but I thought I will do much better in during my IIM days and ended up doing quite well. Um, and after that, I decided that I will join an investment bank. And interestingly, I wanted to be a banker because Lehman Brothers came to campus and really told us a very good story about how greed is good and how they make money. They don't make cars. I got, you know, I was pretty, uh, I was just you know, 20 something. I got very inspired by that, uh, by, by that pitch. I wanted to join an investment bank. Um, thankfully, Lehman didn't select me in the last and final round. And that's how I ended up in an, another bank called ANZ Investment Bank, which was uh, India's best investment bank at that point of time. Uh, spent a year, went to ICICI Limited, which is also a great investment bank. Did some asset-backed, mortgage-backed, securitization, um, structured debt, structured finance, and so on. And somebody realized that I wanted to quit and start a business. And that's how I started to uh, think entrepreneurship. That's great. I mean, I know that you've just kind of flown through a lot of that uh, educational experience and kind of your first careers. You mentioned in a, a previous conversation that you have, you know, this flair for maths and then just a deep understanding in mathematics. Could you talk about your interest? I, I have a bit of a math background as well. Definitely not com nothing compared to you, uh, I'm sure. But um, um, yeah, talk about your, your interest there. Um, and uh, why you really like maths and, uh, and how you got into banking itself uh, and applied some of that. Yeah. So apart from understanding human behavior, one of the things I was fascinated about was mathematics. My father used to scold me if I got 99 on a math test because he would say, how <laughs> silly of you to have made a mistake. You would have, should have got 100. So I grew up in that kind of a setting. And uh, I realized that math can be extraordinarily fun and uh, interesting and it can really help you discover the world. So I, I got really, really interested, especially towards uh, you know latter half of my schooling in mathematics. And I took that to engineering. It became very useful in engineering as well, because as you know, a lot of the engineering education is about math. If you're really good at math, especially probability and statistics and, and, um, uh, in, yeah, and sort of calculus and so on, you can do really well in engineering. So I did well uh, in those courses that involved a lot of math. Um, so that was one thing that I always wanted to do something with. So when I joined an investment bank, my assumption was that math would be the cornerstone of what I would do there. I was very interested in leveraging math. And it turned out, turns out that investment banking, yeah, there is some math, but there's a lot more of legal and relationship management than just math. But somewhere I realized that uh, it was not that meaningful in my life, um, especially when I was doing asset-backed and mortgage-backed securitization. I saw that we were doing a lot of fun math, but I wasn't sure where the value is getting added. It seemed like we were just uh, splitting various kinds of, pooling various kinds of risks and getting lots of investors, not adding any net value. We were making some legal arbitrage. So that was one of the reasons why I thought I should quit and start a business. That's, that's really interesting, Shurikant. So 
I think when we previously spoke, uh, you mentioned how you grew up with the idea or the notion that you really don't want to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and that was a great story. Could you, could you touch on that and uh, tell our listeners about that, please? Uh, thank you, Sunny. I grew up with um, with traditional middle class background. My father used to work for an oil company. I traveled around the country uh, in various oil locations. My father used to be part of the procurement team. It was called materials management in an oil company called Oil India Limited. And one of one day, uh, as I was, I was probably ten years old at that time in Assam, I saw a couple of uh, people entering my house and having a chat with my my father and sort of um, showing, I mean, offering him some cash. I could see you know, lots of wads of 100 rupee notes, uh, which, were, which were there. Right after that meeting, I asked my father what was going on. And he said, look, these guys were trying to bribe me. Uh, and, uh, and I just tried to, I tried to understand what he was trying to say. And then he said, look, business people are corrupt. There is no such thing as an honest businessman. So I grew up thinking honest businessman is an oxymoron. I saw one more episode where uh, I think similar sort of two guys came and uh, with a pistol and tried to threaten my dad. So it was firmly entrenched in my head that business is not for me. I will grow up, I will work for other companies, but I will not start a business. The second assumption I made uh, in my early life was that it requires capital to make capital or to build a business. So knowing that we don't have, we didn't have much resources as uh, as a family. I always assume that I will work all my life and make money, but I won't. Yeah, I won't be able to start a business because I didn't have capital. Uh, because this was the area of industrialization in India. It you needed licenses, you needed to bribe the government, you needed lots of money to make money. But these two assumptions got challenged as I grew up. One is uh, one one thing happened in 1997 when I was in ICICS securities for my summer training while I was in my business school. And during that period, I saw um, reports, equity research reports of uh, Infosys Limited, which was a really hot company at that time. They had gone public a year and a half back. Their public issue didn't do well. And ICICS securities were underwritten that issue were, and held a lot of their stock, but now making recommendations that everybody should buy buy the Infosys stock. Of course, their, their recommendation was bang on because Infosys was a you know, multi-bagger uh, since then. Uh, but I saw that report and I was very inspired by this company. What is this company and could, we, could I invest? I did not have any money to invest in them. But as I went back uh, after my summer, summer training, back to my business school, uh, it so happened that I took on a course called business ethics. And during that business ethics course, which was run by a professor called Deepti Bhatnagar, uh, I got to meet Narayan Murthy, the founder of Infosys. He came for a guest lecture. And in that guest lecture, he spoke about how he built, he had built Infosys on values, on, on great principles, it was powered by intellect and driven by values. Um, and I was quite inspired by that story of Infosys. And he was a very um, humble man and had built a great company. It was still a very, very small company. I think maybe $50 million in revenue, but it seemed like it was going to be successful. Uh, so that was, that is the time I believe, I started believing that the assumption around honest businessmen being an oxymoron is something that I had to revisit. Then in 1999, I saw a whole host of friends of mine raising capital, starting dot-com companies. And then the second assumption that I had also was sort of uh, invalidated. That's when one fine day, I just made this decision that I must start a business. 
I have no idea why I came up with that decision. But <laughs> once those two assumptions, important assumptions, were broken, I thought it was time for me to start a business. That's great. It's just interesting to hear kind of the, what your dad's words were, and 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 you you're kind of finding that an honest businessman is an oxymoron, and I think that's quite true in some cases.、Uh, but nevertheless, you kind of went through, you persevered, and now you've begun this journey, starting up a business, and this was a business that is running today, Fractal, and you know you, you've grown from. You know, a, a couple of folks now to two thousand one hundred plus people across fifteen plus countries at around one hundred twenty million、uh, last fiscal、uh, in revenue. Could you talk through the beginning of that journey? How you came about Fractal? What was the aha moment that kind of、uh, spurred you to think, okay, this is a business case that I can really, or business problem that I can really solve for using my intellect and a few people. That I'm、uh, that I'm sort of the same space. Sure. In the very beginning,、uh, when the when I decided to start a business, I also started looking for some co-founders, some friends I could start a business with. I was very clear that I wanted to start business with people I knew,、uh, people I was friendly with, even though there was the conventional wisdom of not doing business with friends.、Um, we、uh, I found Prane, who was、uh, a, was a very good friend of mine in on on the business school campus, and a few others. Uh, to start this business with, we got together and we were not really inspired by any idea at that time. We were keen to do something, but we didn't have any good idea in mind.、Uh, we were itching for entrepreneurship without an idea in mind. So、um, we spent several hours with each other trying to come up with a good idea. Eventually, we said we are not going to come up with one. Why don't we quit? And after we quit and get together in one place, we'll probably get that idea. For the first few months, we struggled, and this was coincidentally the time when the whole world、uh, stock markets collapsed.、Uh, around, we started in February 2000, and the markets collapsed on April 15, 2000. And then it was extremely difficult to raise money, and it helped us in doing some very deep soul searching. And during that time, we sort of started thinking, what were we really good at? What do we want to do? I said, math. Math is really what I'm really passionate about. I want to do something in math, and maybe businesses can use math to make money. So that was the we started sort of unpacking that idea, and soon it turned out that it's not just math, but it's math on data. That's really how companies can make better decisions, and if we can help companies make better decisions, they can make more money. So this was yet a conceptual idea. There were no analytics firms that we could take inspiration from. We were probably the The first pure play analytics company anywhere on the planet, as defined as an analytics company. So we went to our first employer, my first employer, which was ICICI, and asked them if if they could see any value. I knew that ICICI had just started、um, this business called the personal financial services business. ICICI had recently become a bank. They merged with a bank, and they wanted to build the retail business, which was called personal financial services. And they were pretty aggressive about how quickly they wanted to scale up in terms of assets. So they were using a set of risk models developed by a company called Fair Isaac, and these were models built for some other part of the world, chiefly U.S., which Fair Isaac sold them to India because they were in, India didn't have any data to build models. So I met with their、uh, the ICICI leadership and said. That we have a way in which we can build mathematical models on your data to predict customer risk. 
This was year 2000. India had not seen a single such application yet. Uh, they said, you know, I understand. We understand the logic of this. And even fair as I told us that uh, they can build these models, but we didn't have enough data. We said, why don't you give us a try? They said, we don't know how you, whether you can build this. And to prove our credibility, we built a, we wrote a research paper on this topic. This is the first time we were doing it, but we investigated every single technique in the world to build better credit scoring models. We convinced ICSCA that we knew what it takes and then agreed to do this project for free. Our only condition was if the project is successful, they will um, A, give us a reference and actively promote us with other people and B, consider us for future opportunities uh, in, in working with us. So they agreed and we started working on it and it was absolutely intoxicating, just working and working with data, building mathematical models to find patterns in what drives customer risk. I mean, this was just, just absolutely fun because it was a beautiful confluence of two things that I was always passionate about, math and consumer behavior. We were using math on data to understand consumer behavior, what drives default behavior. And I mean, this was just magic. Uh, we built those models. We created a 30 minute loan product. The idea was a customer walks in into a, into a let's say retail store, buys a flat panel television, doesn't have a credit card, but can just get a loan instantly and take the television home within 30 minutes. Uh, this was a revolutionary idea for year 2000 that to for India. Um, it was something that ICSA executed thanks to the risk models that we could, we could put behind them. So that given that success, ICSA actively promoted uh, Fractal as, as a company they did business with. Uh, they also um, gave us a testimonial. Um, they were willing to look at us for other projects and suddenly we were in business. So Shurikant, when you first started, not only did you have to build the models and the product itself, but you also had to convince your customers that, hey, this is something that you actually need. Because like you said, there was no other analytics companies at that time. So that must've mm -hmm. been a real challenge to show some people, hey, we're building something new and hey, we, you need this as well. That, that must've been quite a challenge. Indeed, uh, it, it was a proverbial selling shoes in Africa situation. Nobody was wearing shoes and we were explaining to everyone why it is useful. I remember with HDFC Bank, which was a, a brilliant bank even back then, um, it was extremely successful. We went to the IT head first, uh, who was called CN Ram. Then we went to the assets head, Sir Ramakrishnan. Then we met the CEO, Aditipuri, and we spent 18 months educating every single one of them on what is the value of uh, using analytics inside the bank. You know, to HDFC Bank's credit, even though they took a while to get the whole message, once they bought it, they were hooked. So they asked us to build mathematical models. And within one year, we were basically working across risk marketing, across the whole bank, building models, and they implemented them like crazy. And it was one of the biggest success drivers for Fractal and for the bank as well. So that's, that, that's a really, really fascinating story to build a product uh, that would then just be used by the end consumer through ICICI bank. Um, just a, a, you know, it seems like a very novel idea, but then, you know, you broke the, the mindsets and of, of a bank. And now here you are, you've kind of built a reputation in very quick, uh, in a very short period of time. 
you are based at this, at this time still in India. Uh, could you talk about, you know, in your previous conversation, you, you really talked about the hustle and the grind that you went through. Uh, it sounds like an awesome uh, story, but um, I know that you there were some struggles through that. You talked about your time in Mumbai um, and uh, uh, your team and just kind of the, the, the setting there. Um, what, what was it like kind of setting up that business? Um, and could you talk through, yeah, the, the environment? When we started Fractal, it was the year 2000. While relative to the 90s, this is a great environment for raising capital and so on. Relative to 2020s, it was it was a dark ages. Um, it you would meet. I probably wrote uh, sent the business Fractal's business plan to more than 250 venture capital firms around the country, and there were 250 different venture capital firms. Except that it was impossible to get money from any of them. One in- interesting uh, discussion with a set of investors called um, uh, Arjun Malhotra and Subhash Arora. These were the founders of HCL. They met us very early on, liked the team, did not really care about the idea. They wanted to invest in us rather than the idea. So they decided to give us $500,000. Their one difficult condition was to have board majority. Even though they were only going to be 26% investors in Fractal, they, would, they wanted 50% of the board. We thought about it and we said no. Of course, um, that turned out to be a bit of a mistake because the next few months was a struggle because we did uh, markets had collapsed and we had no investors. We had no money. We had no salaries. We had quit our organizations. We had no savings. All of us, all the founders were basically two years out of business school. So it wasn't as if we had any savings. Mm-hmm. We decided also not to um, pay ourselves for at least 12 months which meant that we just had to somehow manage from our savings, which were non-existent. I borrowed a few thousand dollars from my mother, which were which came in very handy, which I invested in Fractal. And I had a little bit of that left, which I was using it for my expenses. I used to live in the office. I remember sleeping on three chairs for wow. several months. I would put three chairs next to each other and put some gap between them. That would be long enough for me to sleep on it. And that's how I managed for, for about three or four months. Uh, so it was in, it was incredibly difficult. A couple of the founders had um, wives, uh, and uh, they had exp- more expenses. They had, they were they were you know they were just settling into the new city and so on. So eventually, we decided that we had to pay them some salary. So we had uh, thankfully a couple of angel investors who had sent us ten thousand and twenty thousand dollars, and one who had sent fifty thousand dollars. So we had some money to pay for those expenses. Eventually, we got our first round of angel investment, which was, I think, about $500,000, almost 15 months after we started. So those first 15 months were incredibly challenging. But once we started getting traction from clients, like the ICICI deal I mentioned, um, I think we knew that we were on the right track, and then things got a little easier. Even then, in the first year, one of the big challenges is hiring a team. Now startups are sexy. Back then, startups were seen as extremely risky and um, not a right, not the right place for any youngster to go. So the brightest minds would not be interested in joining startups. Some of them would probably start companies, if at all, but nobody wanted to join a startup. So we could only inspire by the size of the challenge we had. So our the challenges we were solving for, the problems we were solving for, very interesting. So there were a few people who got very interested and who specifically sought after sought out Fractal uh, and joined us, which was great. 
but in general it was very hard for a startup founder it's it's like you have to sell to everyone right your everyone including your landlord is your boss like your spouse your your employees your investors your clients everyone is asking you what are you up to and they have more leverage over you than you have so it's it's a hard hard place but you know it 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 gets easier it gets easier once you start a little traction and you know you solve for one problem it solves other problems too you start getting clients then it solves your cash flow problems and it solves your cash flow problems you have more leverage with your landlords and you know it it gets better um, but it's never easy and it's it's but it, it first year was especially challenging and it got a little easier after that we're just going to take a quick break if you like what you're hearing please remember to hit the subscribe button and we'd love to hear your feedback so please remember to leave us a review you can follow us on instagram facebook and twitter on our handle business over chai or on our website at businessoverchai.com thanks again and now back to the podcast yeah i mean uh, i guess for any kind of entrepreneur that might be thinking about starting a business the first year typically is you know, one of the hardest years because you're still trying to figure it out, right? You're still trying to find your way, find your, uh, the right customer, find the right product, uh, find the right market fit as well, product market fit, they, uh, as, as they call it. Um, but anyway, just going back to, I mean, we are, you know, just kind of recapping from the story that you were saying before as well, you've, you know, made this amazing product for ICICI Bank, um, huge success. And now they're giving referrals or recommendations, and you now have this backing um, from 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 this uh, reputable bank. And the next kind of big project that you talked through uh, was the project with Unilever, uh, which was a really interesting and fascinating story. Could you talk about that and uh, some of the problems that you solved there? We got introduced to Dr. Siddharth Roy, who was the chief of business research at Unilever. He was an incredibly educated man, uh, an economist. And uh, the first time we met him, he was, uh, he was very interested in understanding who this fractal company is because this is a very new idea, analytics firm, a standalone anal- analytics firm. So he said, yes, I'm happy to work with you. Here's a data set. He gave us a data set. That, in fact, he gave us two data sets. It was called, one is, was called First Buyer Survey, which is basically a survey that Unilever used to run, understanding who was buying their products and how who were using their products. There's another survey called the repeat buyer survey, which is RBS, where what they were doing was to look at every single wrapper from every single household in the panel and using that wrapper to understand what products were being used, household products were being used by individual consumers. They had a panel of 30,000 consumers. They later on sold that panel to another research firm. So this was their own panel. So he gave us this data set and said, go have a look at the data and show me some joy. Well, this is a very odd brief <laughs> from any client. And obviously they were not paying us anything till we showed them some joy. So we started looking at the data and trying to understand what is going, what to do. And we quickly learned that, okay, this is, a, this is 2001. Uh, there's a, a recession underway thanks to the dot-com crash and so on. And, uh, we said, what if we try to understand how consumers are changing their behavior through this recession? So we defined our own problem statement, so to speak, and started looking at the data. And it's just so fascinating. Consumers were changing their behavior quite significantly. Some of them were downgrading the quality of the products they were buying. If they're buying the top tier 
detergent now they are buying the next year or the next year below that as a detergent they were getting more promotionally sensitive so if you giving them a buy one get one free they were more interested than than earlier now they would probably stick on because they were trying to create look for more value they're also reducing the frequency of consumption of some of the luxury goods so if they might still buy the top end product but they instead of buying it one every month they would buy one every two months and to see this i mean you could you you can make some assumption about how customers may behave or consumers may behave during a recessionary time to actually see this in data was just magic so we took that insight and said this is what is happening in your business we can tell you how how consumer behavior changes during a recession and then the next step was okay what do we do about it then we developed strategies to retain or to protect some of the key brands of unilever through that period which worked out really well this was another great validation because this is a great confluence of both math and consumer behavior really that's that's something that's remained central to fractal throughout the last 20 years is a, it's 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 eventually about predicting consumer behavior and using math to do that it's one of the most important things that we can do with ai is is just be customer centric consumer centric understand and predict their behavior and do what's best for the consumer uh, in the process become successful so that's remained a very interesting theme and that's really one of the things that we uh, continue doing uh, understanding both the behavioral aspect of decision making along with the mathematical aspect of decision making we call it data science plus behavioral science and we see that that kind of orientation does solve problems a lot better humans are not always rational to understand their behavior uh, and not necessarily uh, with a rational lens and then understand how to sort of shape that behavior has remained a cornerstone of what fractal does over the years that's great shrikan thank you for that um so as fractal began to grow bigger and bigger um we noticed that you started focusing on more international markets rather than finding customers from india um what was the reasons behind that and how was that decision made absolutely we started with india because we really didn't have any other market we could afford to serve because we were um, india uh, holco uh, all the founders and the employees were in india and we did not have the money to uh, to really go anywhere else we had very small amount of funding but we did never wanted to be out of money uh, and we wanted to be wanted to break even very quickly which we did in the third year of our operations we were breaking even actually making profits so with that mindset we really didn't have enough resources to to go to any other country but once we found success initially we found success with visa which is one of the largest payment services providers uh, it was a chance meeting when one of the you know senior employees of visa showed up in mumbai i got to meet him and um, he asked me what can i what does it take to show magic with data i said 2500 i can show you something that that i can show you some magic with data so he went back to singapore uh, he called me there uh, my co-founder went and met him eventually we landed a $25000 first project with visa uh, working with one of the largest malaysian banks and that went off really well and visa became our largest client literally in in literally overnight uh, so we saw the power of serving a global audience then we set up a office in the us and it was very hard when we moved to the us initially because we realized that all our brilliant analytical horsepower 
was something was old news. They were already doing all of this stuff. Um, even though there were no pure play analytics firms, but there were several companies offering analytical services with, as part of their overall offering. And what Fractal was doing seemed like it's it's maybe better than average, but it's not cutting edge enough for some of the most um, most impressive clients that we wanted to serve. That's that was a rude awakening, but you know it's it's happened several times in our history that we realized that oh we are not necessarily leading, and then we we got better. So after that initial shock, we you know we really invested heavily in our in our R and D, and soon we were serving a whole host of American clients, starting with Procter and Gamble in two thousand five, uh, and now almost hundred of the Fortune five hundred companies. Um, once we started serving those, those clients, we realized that it was better to serve in a focused set of markets and be strategic partners to big clients than to serve in an emerging market where analytics was still a luxury. It is still a choice. Um, growth was already coming for most Indian companies. They didn't need to do analytics for that. Secondly, they did not have budgets. They probably spend couple of hundred thousand dollars on analytics, but spending $5 million or $10 million on analytics was something was, was not going to happen with an Indian client. So we decided that we would serve a fewer set of clients, but serve them deeply and choose them very wisely. Uh, and that's really what we've been doing so far. And that's the reason for the focus on US, Australia, and UK, because these are the markets that really get the power of analytics and have traditionally invested heavily uh, behind them. Uh, and in talking about today, Shurikant, where is Fractal today uh, and what kind of um, problems are you looking to solve today? It'd be great to touch on that. Great. Fractal is about um, 2,100 people today, serves 100 of the Fortune 500 companies. And our mission has stayed the same since we began. It's about powering every human decision in the enterprise. We fundamentally believe that human beings and machines make millions and millions of decisions every day. And if each of those decisions are more informed because of better AI algorithms, they would be so much more impactful. It can drive significant bottom line and top line benefits to organizations. So we've been powering every human decisions for, for the enterprise over the years. We started off by predicting customer behavior, but then off late, the themes around of digital transformation are really prominent. So really, if you ask me what is digital transformation, it's not really an alphabet soup of, of technology buzzword. It's not blockchain, AI, IoT, machine learning. And you keep hearing all these buzzwords about what digital transformation is. Essentially, digital transformation is about a smarter way or a data-driven way of running a business. If you think about that, what do companies want to do? Big Fortune 100 companies want to do through AI. They're basically trying to solve five problems as I see it. Number one, they still want to engage very deeply with their consumers or customers or their employees. It's about personalizing and engaging deeply with your audience, recommending the best product, et cetera. That's one. Number two is reducing inefficiencies in the organization, whether it's supply chain, whether it's forecasting, whether it's marketing, people want their money to work harder, uh, their employees to be more productive. So waste to be eliminated. So it's about operational efficiency, reducing inefficiencies. Third is about introducing successfully new products and introducing them faster because the new product failure rate in organizations is 95%. Right? So how can we make it much more um, 
to create higher probability of success for the product launches and even launch those products faster. How can you leverage AI to do that? That's number three. Number four is driving executive decisions. Companies are making so many executive decisions from the time a consumer buys a product to when I make a decision on that, there is a latency in that business. Ideally, you want it to be immediate. Amazon is probably responding to a customer purchase decision or a customer click decision within hours or minutes. Whereas a big Fortune 100 company is probably taking 100 days to act on that decision. So how can you reduce the latency of the business and improve the speed of decision-making and the quality of decision-making, especially executive decision-making? That's number four. And fifth is how can you create a moat around your business? How can you secure your business from the fu for future? How can you build new stuff, in experiment with new business models, fight disrupting disruptive competitors? That's, those are the five themes around which companies are trying to get better. And essentially AI and digital transformation is about helping them get better on these, these dimensions. That's really what Fractal does. Uh, we certainly bring in smart algorithms, but we've realized that smart algorithms is just one step of the journey. You need AI, but you also need very strong engineering, which means ability to connect the data pipelines of the organization and automate decision-making. So you need significant technology and engineering work around that. That's really awesome. And I love what you guys are doing. Ultimately, you know, this podcast is uh, an entrepreneur's podcast. Our, our, our mission is to share startup stories that inspire the next generation of South Asian entrepreneurs. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, we spoke um, a few weeks ago and uh, you, you shared that you uh, one of your real interests, not only in Fractal, but outside of that is mentoring entrepreneurs, right? And I think mentoring entrepreneurs is a, a huge thing and uh, something that entrepreneurs probably don't really um, search or uh, look, look, search for, sought after. So could you talk about, um, you know, maybe some pitfalls or common mistakes that you find that, you know, given the fact that you have the experience now that entrepreneurs make some of the, you know, common mistakes and uh and then kind of, kind of touch on also your your mentoring that you're doing now to help entrepreneurs the first thing i ask any entrepreneur when she or he wants to start a business is are you really sure because there are many people who want to start a business but they're not uh, really meant for entrepreneurship or not ready for entrepreneurship the three common reasons why people start a business which are wrong is a i'll make more money it's not necessary. Odds are you'll make less money because it's the equivalent of a 17-year-old smart lad in Patna taking a train to Mumbai, thinking that he is going to be the next Shah Rukh Khan or Amir Khan or, or a Bollywood <laughs> celebrity. It's yes, there are those guys had those beginnings, but the, the chances that you will become one is, is, is low. So it's not necessarily going to make more money. Second, some of them actually do it because they feel like they will be their own boss. Like I was previously mentioning in entrepreneurship, everybody is your boss. So if it's about ego, then entrepreneurship is the biggest ego crushing experience in the world. So, so please don't think that you will be your own boss. And three, some, especially slightly later stage entrepreneurs believe that it's about getting better control over their time. They want to know I can get better work-life balance by being an entrepreneur. I don't think that works either. I mean, there's no work-life balance for an entrepreneur. So these are wrong reasons to start a business. There's only one re right reason to start a business. 
it's that you are so desperate that you want to start that you just can't wait. You just have to. And the idea is is pushing you to start a business. There's something else that making you feel like making you that itch, right? That every morning you wake up, you you're thinking, why am I not an entrepreneur today? Like when that happens, I think you're probably ready. And you have to be you have to be ready to understand that you're taking extraordinary risks and uh, they may not be commensurate returns. And once you start, I think my biggest lesson for entrepreneurs is is that it's about getting rid of the ego. The more ego, I think, the more trouble that they have. Um, and once you crush your ego and become client centric, that's really when you start. Any business has a customer eventually, a customer or a client, unless you really see the world from their lens and solve a problem, a really important problem from their lens um, and really um, care for their success. If you find their success, you will be success, successful yourself. So that, that's something that I think people are thinking that um, it, it's about their business. Actually, it's not about them. It's about actually solving a real problem for a customer, some customers. It could be any business. The other thing I keep talking about and I see many businesses failing is that many entrepreneurs are really good at uh, the idea and building the product, but they really don't have financial management. So more companies go bust because they run out of cash than because their product was bad. So managing their liquidity and their cash flows um, and is super important. And therefore, having that real understanding of, um, of, of the overall cash flows and, and surviving the tough times, I think it's, it's important. Every business goes through that tough time. And some people do feel because of reading business books that there's a straight line to success. I keep telling them there will be ups and downs. There is no straight line to success. Apart, then when you think of the, some of the companies that are, have been successful and they're starting to grow, I, I tend to sort of focus on culture, right? What, what are you doing when people are not watching, right? And by the way, everybody is watching. As a, as a leader of the organization, are you above the law or are you just like the others? So can you really lead an organization where you are leading by example? Right? Uh, for example, and then how do you treat people on their way out? That's another question I keep asking them. You know, The brand of your organization is getting built by the people who are not in your business. Right? What are they talking about you when you're not there? And are you, are you really taking care of all those moments of truth of, of customers, employees, and so on? And last point is, as far as leadership is concerned, I keep sort of talking to, um, to young entrepreneurs about the, the fundamentals of leadership, which is, are you providing clarity? Are you providing optimism, right? At any point of time, I think a leader has to provide clarity, which means where are we going? Like, the, the world is very confusing. There's a lot going on. Can you distill that and give them clarity? This is what we're going to do next. And by the way, optimism meaning we are going to get there. Just the faith that we're going to get there. Here's where we're going and we will get there and do that every time. So I think that's really the set of things that those are the kinds of things I keep talking about. Of course, there is a bunch of things about product manager, product market fit, or how to um, set up a, a, a business, a global business, how to move from country to country, how to hire people. These are various other places where uh, some of my experience comes in handy for entrepreneurs. But what I've realized in my uh, life at this current stage is that the two biggest levers to influence the world are education and entrepreneurship. Because you know, if you if you teach people, uh, if you can educate people well, the world will be a better place. And if there are if there are enough entrepreneurs taking risks and building new stuff, 
world be well world will be better so i have decided to spend my time between education entrepreneurship in my in non fractal time and working with entrepreneurs in helping them more being more successful my my objective is to be there for them and just have a chat with them if they bring in some questions i have a quick conversation with them and uh, last week an entrepreneur reached out to me um she had started a business she had run it for 5 years and she was you know she was struggling with 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 the business and i said you know i i immediately sort of sensed that her energy levels are low i said if you're going to go raise money and you say that you've been 5 years in the business and you've not been successful so far not not enough no sort of steady clientele why don't you refresh your business just same product don't change the product don't change the change the the fundamentally what problem you're solving but change the brand change the name of the company just reboot yourself because if you can't reboot yourself it's very hard for you to find success i saw very low energy in her and uh, that was that conversation happened 3 months ago she came she just wrote to, randomly to me i think a couple of days back saying you know thank you for that one hour that you spent with me it changed my life i took on uh, i i changed the brand uh, i have got this new really big client now and i'm finding some success wow. it's like wow this is i was i mean that the power of those one simple conversation is big i i hope i can do more of those and i hope i can help more entrepreneurs be successful in future wow that's that's amazing shri khan that's fantastic insight there and i think it's just great that you're helping entrepreneurs in the way in the way that you do um another one of your passions uh one we talked about previously is uh, about behavioral science psychology and mental health as well um you've talked about how difficult it is to become an entrepreneur and you need to be absolutely sure you want to do it um but of course everyone doesn't make it you know um it becomes difficult for people you've talked about the challenges you faced and you know if it doesn't work out for you it can lead to things like depression um what are your thoughts about mental health um in general um and how can entrepreneurs in particular um what can they do to overcome these potential problems it's it's mental health is a huge issue with entrepreneurs i think i re- read a recent survey that one in two entrepreneurs goes through a mental health issue during their entrepreneurial journey and unfortunately not many people talk about it all you all the stories you hear on linkedin and facebook are of companies raising hundreds of millions of dollars of funding and billions of dollars of valuation and things are just getting out of hand all over right and then you look at your business and say what is wrong with me you know why am my my business not uh raise no matter how well you're doing by the way you may have raised a 25 million dollar round and you were extremely happy yesterday and now you heard that some other company with no revenues has raised 300 million and they valued at 3 billion and you're thinking am i an idiot here to do this this stuff right so the people are people <laughs> there's there's a lot of comparison there's a lot of relative poverty uh and uh, no matter how well you're doing there's somebody else who's doing much much better and you know the your challenges but you're seeing a much more glossy view of all the other people so that is one of the various ways people get uh, get very um, affected um, they also feel very lonely because you know many of the decision because you everybody is your boss and you are you're sort of working with everyone but you are sort of holding it all together uh, and you are managing a, a ton of stress in the process right you're you're managing your employees you're telling them okay everything is going to be okay you're telling your clients we'll going to solve all these problems you 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 know that your cash position is bad but you you know that you somehow will manage it you you sort of lot of things 
are in your hand and you're sort of managing the situation with everyone. So one of the things I tell, tell uh, I would like to tell entrepreneurs is it's okay. Just tell them as is, you know, when you're trying to manage a situation by telling different people, different things, it's harder. It's okay to be transparent. Just tell them as is, you know, uh, it's, it's okay to fail. It's if you're in a really tough situation, go ahead and talk to your clients, talk to your people. You'll be surprised as how well they will be, they will appreciate it. Um, then to realize that you're not alone. You know, many entrepreneurs become very lonely because they really don't want to talk to any friends. They feel like, you know, till I find big success, you know, especially, you know, you, let's say you graduated from business school and all your uh, friends are working for McKinsey and BCG and, you know, all the other kinds of consulting firms, investment banks, making tons of money and flying business class and first class and planes. And you're sitting in coach somewhere at the back uh, you know, thinking, what is wrong with me? Right. Uh, they, they don't want to share. They don't want to discuss their story with anyone. They just want to hide somewhere. And I tell them, no, just share your story with everyone. Onboard everyone. Onboard your friends. Onboard your, your spouse, your, your family. Because the more support you have with everyone, the more they understand your journey, the more they will, they will be able to be there for you. Because you, I mean, nobody does it alone. So do that. Even find a mentor and discuss with that mentor your, your challenges. Because you know, if somebody has been through the journey, some of these things are very predictable. They can share with you that look, there is no straight line to success. There's no, there's, there's no easy path and give you some really good advice at the, at the right time. And then about uh, idea, ideas fail, uh, doesn't mean that you have failed. You know, you have to distance yourself sure. from the idea, right? The idea didn't work. doesn't mean I'm an idiot. It, idea can fail for so many different reasons. The timing wasn't right. You don't have enough cash flows. Something went wrong. There's just so many different ways in which one can fail. But if you take that on yourself, it's, you take it too hard on yourself. Yes, you have to learn from every failure. But if you take, if you, if you take too much of that onto yourself, it's not going to help you or anyone else. Um, and the last point I will, I'll, I'll say is just keep reading and learning. You know, just be a voracious reader. Learn from everybody. Because you know you because you're so deep into the problem that you're solving. When you read a bunch of stuff, you will be able to connect the dots and find some new stuff. You can come up with innovative stuff. Just expose yourself, increase your surface area, and just read a lot, and and just stay put. You know you have to you have to stay put, um, uh, perse you have to persevere, and also know when to call it quits. Nothing wrong with calling quits. It's okay to call quits because you can come back again in a stronger way. So some of these things I like to talk about, but it's, it's a hard problem. And unfortunately, uh, entrepreneurs don't like to talk about their mental health challenges. I think I want to encourage conversations on mental health because I think it's, it's important. If you have to get more entrepreneurs, more successful, we have to be willing to accept failure. Great. Fantastic. That's, that's incredibly useful insight there, Shuri Khan. Really appreciate you sharing that and being so open and transparent with your, with your thoughts there. I genuinely think that that was super, super helpful. I think people are going to listen to that and yeah. really take take on board that advice, by the way. I, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Uh, so Shurikant, that just everything you've just said there, I mean, uh, I am an entrepreneur. I can resonate with that, the mental health struggle, uh, the loneliness, the, yeah, just that sentiment that I think a lot of uh, various entrepreneurs also face. Um, we're coming to the end and wrapping this up. And we always ask this question to our guests um, and it's a fun one. So if you were to have chai with three guests, living or otherwise, who would they be and why? 
I would definitely pick Jeff Bezos because he's he's been one of my role models um, throughout. Not because he became the richest guy in the world, and not because he divorced his wife. Not that, but I think his his fundamental philosophy uh, in life, which is client centricity. I think he is one of the biggest uh, proponents of client centricity. Has really sort of um, taken that concept to the next level. I remember watching a Charlie Rose interview in 2009 when Jeff Bezos says uh, Charlie Rose asked him, you know, this e-commerce stuff, why can't others beat you? I mean, it's it's not very difficult. Uh, so Jeff Bezos says fundamentally two reasons: one, because we are uh, really customer centric, and truly being customer centric means that you know we will do what's we will invent on behalf of our clients. It's that customer centric. Wow. So that's the reason it's easy to talk customer centricity, but it's hard. Second thing he said is that we take a really long-term view of the business. He said, "I take a seven-year view of the business." When you think, when you think long-term, businesses would say three years, maybe five years at most. Nobody thinks seven years ahead of the ahead of the curve. And I'm willing to take that seven-year view and willing to bet my money on it, right? Which I found to be very inspiring. And he is one of my role models. Uh, so, and a great entrepreneur, certainly. Second one, I would pick. Is Swami Vivekanand. He's a philosopher, as you know. He is one of the greatest philosophers of all time. A great advocate of Hinduism, and he went to this Parliament of Religions in 1893 in Chicago, uh, and gave this beautiful speech. Integrated all the world's religions. Right. He basically talked about a vision for how all the religions are very interconnected, and his uh, philosophy of Vedanta and how he. Communicated Vedanta to, the, to to everyone. I'm very inspired by uh, his understanding. And during times when I had, I was going through tough times in my life, I actually read his uh, collected works, and it gave me a tremendous amount of uh, peace and quiet. So I would love to have a chat with him, a little learn a little bit more of about Vedanta because I think it's one of the so greatest philosophies of all time. And the third one I would pick is a scientist or a mathematician. I am currently sort of debating. It could be Albert Einstein, but maybe it could be a mathematician um, uh, like Isaac Newton or someone like that. Because eventually, my my love for math is is super important. I would love to sort of get a little deeper understanding of math. So if I could bring philosophy, mathematics, and entrepreneurship together, I think that's that would be cool. And I would love to have a chat like that. It's a great mix. I quite like that. What do you think, Sunny? <laughs> Yeah, no, fantastic. I love how you're still getting your passions together there, Shurikant. Uh, I think that's been such a great episode. You, you've given so much valuable advice there for budding entrepreneurs. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you and hearing more about Fractal soon. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks again for listening to the Business Over Chai podcast. If you like this content, please hit subscribe. And if you have any feedback, please give us a review. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter with the handle Business Over Chai, or alternatively on our website, businessoverchai.com. Thanks again for listening.